Hey everyone, welcome to the Mission Daily. And in this episode, we're gonna help you get that Friday feeling by doing a deep dive into some of the best articles we're reading, books, music we're listening to, movies, TV series, and generally give you the best of everything. It'll help get your next week started off right if you listen to this episode. That's the game plan. And so the goal here is to focus on the best media and stories to generally inspire, help educate, or uplift. And I think you're gonna enjoy all the things that we found and enjoyed this week. Yeah, we're definitely gonna be diving deep into the rabbit holes into some of the things we picked out. But first, today's episode of the Mission Daily is brought to you by Twilio, the leading cloud communications platform. And this October, Twilio is hosting Signal, a customer and developer conference that explores the intersection of technology, innovation, and communications. And if you go to signal.twilio.com, you can get 20% off your tickets by using our promo code, Mission20. And OK Go is the band that will be there. And if you need a good playlist for this weekend or entry point into OK Go, if you haven't listened to them before, there's a song called This Too Shall Pass. And I mean, just from the title, you can kind of guess what the song's about. But it's a great reminder, a great anthem. If you're struggling with anything, it's, uh, yeah, generally a really cool song. Yeah. And when conferences have great bands, that just makes the conference even so much better. I mean, the conferences already sounds like it's going to be amazing, but that just really Definitely. brings it up a level. People think it like takes away from the substance or the message or anything. And I think it adds like a certain type of lightness to it because one of the best books that I read this week was uh, Valley of Genius. So I didn't finish it yet, but it's a book on the, let's get the uh, subtitle right. Valley of Genius. Uh, it's written by Adam Fisher, who does a brilliant job of telling the un- uncensored history of Silicon Valley as told by the hackers, founders, and freaks who made it boom. Awesome. We're just diving right into it then. Let's get into your book first. Yeah, definitely. So this is a book that presents something that's so important that people are forgetting now, that art was the cornerstone of Silicon Valley. It was actually art, the government, and the DOD that made Silicon Valley. So when I say art, I'm referring to the counterculture, to literal painters and people who were doing things that were way, way outside the norm in terms of hacking together their own uh, computer systems, their own blue boxes to make fake telephone call, not fake telephone calls, but essentially be able to make free calls. Uh, and generally there's this whole culture of Silicon Valley that people forgot existed. And as you're going through these stories that Adam Fisher has presented, he does so in just a unique way that helps you remember that most history that you read, that you think you're getting from mainstream media outlets or even from tech-focused journal journalist publications and stuff, it's not the real history. Uh, so what he does is present interviews that are, he curates them, but he doesn't edit for content. So you're getting an unfiltered view of what actually happened. And it is far, far from the uh, superficial, like, oh, Steve Jobs and Waz did this you get a behind the scenes look of how it actually happened. And if you're familiar with the story, which is our other podcast, you know that we're a big fan of history and biography because it shines a light into what's actually possible. And the struggles, the trials, the tribulations that the greats went through, they might look far more like your life than what you think, so. That's awesome. Do you have um, a quick little example of maybe something from the book where you really remember that or it hit home with you or something? Yeah, so the story of how Atari came together with Nolan Bushnell and all of his co-conspirators and collaborators is an excellent reminder of just how many anecdotes 
and stories and how much time goes into developing a really successful company. It's also a really powerful reminder that you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to hire the exact perfect people with no flaws. In fact, it's by embracing people as they are, bringing them in and building a culture of controlled chaos that innovation happens. And so Atari was this place where nobody understood business. So Nolan Bushnell, the founder of Atari and his co-founders, they were striking up licensing deals. They were negotiating with bars and restaurants to get their coin-operated machines into them. They were generally you know, not taken seriously by anyone for until much later on. And a lot of the early things that they did, you would think that people who succeeded at a massive level in business knew what they were doing as they went. And they didn't. They did things like going to the unemployment office and just finding kind of like the worst of the worst folks. But these folks would actually like work hard. So they brought them into the company. They stole a lot of things and they had to like fire people. Uh, but they also created a culture that is, you know, if anybody were to try to outwardly create a culture like this today in Silicon Valley and build these types of teams and this type of like party work environment, wow, I don't think that the tech press could handle it uh, at all because it was a pretty wild place. It was generally one big party. And then there's the story of like Xerox Park, how the graphical user interface was built. And these stories are uh, just tremendous. So That's awesome. Yeah, I think bringing in people like that who might not be the most trustworthy could actually help build even better businesses afterwards because it reminds me of Andy Grove where he says only the paranoid survive. Yeah. And you see that happening in your workplace and then you have to kind of be paranoid and make sure afterwards you hire people that you do trust more and more, but you might not realize that until you hire maybe not the best people to begin with. Definitely. I think that uh, paranoia is something that could be, we've talked about it in previous episodes, how it's something that is can be very, very helpful. And I think that if you balance it out with play, that's where you get to a really fun environment. And it was just a good reminder that so many of these workplaces, we're not talking about like bringing a ping pong table in, you know, we're talking about bringing technical hardware in and things for everybody to tinker with and uh, lots of time spent hanging out, just like generally not working, but just talking about things. Uh, lots of drinking was involved in this and some, you know, other adult uh, substances or, you know, however, however you want to say that. But this this type of history is just like so cool to see the uncensored reality of how things actually happen. And it gives you a much greater sense of agency and permission to experiment and realize that, you know, you're not getting things right and neither did anyone else that came before you. It's just a process of getting better and better, putting stuff out there, being embarrassed of uh, you know the low quality of things, and then continually working to update, iterate, make them better and better. That's great. All right. And that's called Valley of Genius? Yeah, Valley of Genius. Uh, Adam Fisher is the journalist that wrote it, and he does a great job. I think that we'll get him on the podcast soon to talk about the book at length. So that'd be cool. I want to read it, but I'm looking at it and it's a very big book. So it intimidates me with how many pages it has. The cool thing about the chapters is each chapter focuses in on a specific company or time period in the Valley. And then it's written generally just transcripts of the interviews. So you can start anywhere. You can pick it up. You can read a couple chapters and it's a book where each chapter is worth the price of the book in terms of the insights and value. So cool. All right. So I guess I'll dive into what I'm reading this week. It's not a book. Um, it's actually research behind the Gottmans. So John and Julie Gottman are psychologists and they've done a bunch of relationship research. So they studied couples for, I think it was four decades wow. to see which couples survived and which ones ended up in divorces or disasters is what he called it. So the article that 
got me into this is called The Secret to Love is Just Kindness. And it basically talks about how relationships blossom and end up being successful is all about how kind the couples are to each other. And so examples are kindness that they gave are assuming the best intent from your partner. Do you, you know, if they say, hey, I'm going to be late for dinner or something, do you just assume they don't respect my time? They don't respect this dinner that I put on for them. Instead thinking, you know, I know they're trying their best and they had these hard meetings. So when they come home, I want to be gracious that they were even able to get home when they could, because I know they could have had a very stressful day. Sure. And maybe they're making a sacrifice now to enable them to be more present at an upcoming vacation or event or something like that. That's, uh, yeah, it's really interesting about using your imagination to imagine the best intentions of people, because I think so often we just, our default state is to think the worst. You know, it's a survival mechanism, a coping mechanism, but yeah. Yep. Yeah. And the next one about kindness is do you share in their joy and excitement? So when someone comes home and maybe they're like, you know, I just got a job offer or I'm excited about this project that I really want to do. Even if you don't care, how do you show them that you care and how do you share in their joy and their excitement about the things that you know, maybe aren't of interest to you. And then the third one was, um, how do you act when you are tired or stressed? So if someone comes home, if your spouse or partner comes home and they're looking for something from you, so they're looking, they have a need of maybe they want to share their day with you and you're tired or stressed, how do you come back to them? Do you, you know, engage with them and talk with them and really dive deep with maybe their needs or do you kind of turn away and yeah, yeah, okay, cool. So that's their examples of kindness. But the most interesting part about the article was the physiology that he noticed in the couple's bodies when they were talking to each other. So the couples who ended up in disastrous relationships toward the end actually were always in a fight or flight type of mode when they were talking to their spouse. So even if they're talking about mundane things like how did your day go or you know, tell me a little bit about your conversation with so-and-so or did you just run into a neighbor? What happened? they would be having these mundane, you know, just daily conversations and they would go into this fight or flight mode as if they were, as some people said, facing off with a saber toothed tiger. So their, you know, their heart rates were going up, their blood pressure was going up. All these things he was noticing were happening in the bodies of these couples, even when they were just having daily normal conversations. And he said, like learning to control that and looking behind why that was happening to those couples was all about the kindness um, that they didn't have towards Mm -hmm their spouse or partner or whatever. So I just yeah. think that all their research they've done is just really, really valuable. Yeah, really, really valuable. I mean, I've just been diving into it and it's just been a rabbit hole because everything I'm like, oh, I just never thought about this. Another one he talked about is when your partner has a request for connection. So an example is, um, hey, Chad, look at that beautiful bird outside. And if the partner turns away and doesn't take notice and doesn't engage in that conversation or care, it actually breaks down the person, so me in this example, little bit by little bit over time. Whereas if the person turns and realizes that obviously, you know, you want that connection, you're looking for me to comment on something Mm -hmm. that you care about, even if it's just for a moment of connection during the day, Mm -hmm. they talk about how impactful this is. So whether you turn toward the person to engage with what they want to talk about, or you turn away, has is it was one of the most impactful things of their research of whether a couple survived or whether they failed, which just little things like that, that I just didn't really think about. I mean, you kind of know, but. Sure. I I think that's really, really interesting. And it definitely applies to relationships, but also friendships Mm -hmm. because any enduring human bond of connection or camaraderie or fellowship starts with a shared interest and a willingness to, at first, if you have to even 
feign interest when you're so tapped out and you're so tired at the end of the day, oftentimes just starting with approaching things with an open mind and feigning interest at first, that is what gets you over the hump of it gets you out of your own mind, your own head. And then you can start to explore, okay, am I really engaged? And then you can be more authentic as you go. I think that people are scared to do that at first because it feels like, oh, I'm not being perfect or I'm not being authentic. And you have to give yourself permission to get better at these things. These are all things that we have to get better at. And oftentimes the whole fake it till you make it thing is overblown sometimes, but in other ways you you can fake it and then you can get better at it. You can practice it. So this is really, really cool. And it's something that if we go back to the second example, you said there isn't something that you can fake around being genuinely excited for another success. And that's a place where Again, you can you know start off by faking it and then start to really let yourself go and let yourself celebrate another success. These are skills that have to be practiced. They have to be developed because nobody gets to a high level of emotional intelligence without practice. I think it's easy to think that this is something that you're naturally going to do or when you find that perfect person or that perfect spouse, you're just going to find yourself instantly doing all these things. No, they take incredible amounts of work and presence, but they're worth it. That's exactly what the article said. They said, treat kindness as if it's a muscle and you should yeah. try and work work it every single day. And it's not about buying the boxes of chocolates or just the one-off things that you might you know buy or do for your spouse. It's about the constant exercise of making sure you do something every single day or you notice the little moment moments in your life with either your friends or your partners or whoever and build on those and make sure Definitely. you capitalize on those little moments knowing that they are ultimately the key to either your success or your demise. Yeah, I think it's just like exercise too, where you forget how good you feel after a really hard hour to hour workout. And you forget how you feel often when you don't go all in in celebrating another's success. And that feels so, so good to do. And it's something too that is priceless in a sense that just think, when was the last time you had another person just surprise you in how crazy they got about a small accomplishment or maybe a big accomplishment that you made happen. Those are the type of moments I think that create a story that is fun to look back on. Yeah, and, and you, you remember it really well. I remember yeah. when I got the job at Google and I was still kind of on the fence about it of like, oh, should we move from DC? I'm so nervous. And you came in like at a <laughs> 150% of like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing that's ever happened. Wow, it's like so proud of you. And it actually got me up to a level. And I even remember this today of like how, how much your excitement really got me excited. And I just was like, wow, that's really cool. Like I know Chad wants me to be full-time with him and that's his like dream, but it's really cool that he kind of put that to the side and was like, I'm proud of you for what you're doing right now by taking that job. That was just, I always remember that. So thanks babe. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the type of stuff though, that makes you feel good and makes you, you know, I'm pretty critical of myself lots of times. And, you know, when you have those type of moments to reminisce on and look back on, that's the good stuff. That's the really, really I think important battlegrounds where meaning is one and meaning is something that is priceless for us as humans. We have to figure out how to get it and focusing on making those stories great and creating memories that you can reflect on. It's something that, you know, that's where investing your time and your resources, it's one of those investments that you're not going to (laughs) regret. Yeah, I agree. All right. Now that we've dove into that wormhole a lot, we got to pull back out and hop onto what we're listening. Do you want to start? Yeah, let's do it. So I was at uh, dinner two, 
no, I guess like a week and a half ago. And I was uh, talking with someone and we found that we had a shared interest in East Coast rap. So let's take it out of the uh, realms of sentimentality into the uh, hardcore street life that oh everybody gosh. out there knows that I'm I'm all about that life. Oh yeah, so, for no, just, sure. <laughs> just, yeah, just kidding. I'm from, I'm from Boonesboro, come on. So East Coast rap is interesting for a bunch of different reasons, but in the late 90s and early 2000s, there was this wave of pro-aspirational rap that came out from Jadakiss, Styles P, Locks, which was uh, a group that was an acronym for living off experience. And Mike and I were talking at dinner and we just really bonded over the fact that these were the first voices that we heard in popular culture that told us it was okay to be confident, to bet on yourself and learn through really, really hard experiences. And that might sound like oh, you know, that's just an embellishment. That's not accurate. Or these rappers didn't have anything of substance to say. So I would say that there was, there were a whole bunch of unintended consequences and negative things in their music, but there was also this unexplored territory where for Mike and I, this was, you know, we were from traditional, I don't want to speak for him entirely, but I know from myself, I was from this very traditional Caucasian white culture where anything that gravitated towards confidence was kind of suspect. And it was treated as if, oh my gosh, you're going to turn into this arrogant monster. And this is associated with pride. And like, that's one step away from a fall. And just that silliness isn't going to be helpful. It's not going to serve you. And exploring the idea that confidence is okay. And that you don't always have to walk around with guilt. (laughs) You don't have to have guilt for everything that's imperfect that you've done. And I think through rap music, there are a lot of people who let go of past regrets and guilt and start to explore the idea that they're living off experience and doing the best they can. And so quick side note, I know that there are a lot of moms that love the mission and grandmothers. You're not going to want to listen to this music. Probably. Uh, they I'll, might. Just, I'll just throw, throw that out Facebook there. We did a Facebook live and they were, they stepped in on the comment section. They were like, I actually love what you're talking it's, about. It's when highly, it comes to this. it's highly explicit. But if you, uh, <laughs> If you are looking to explore something, you know, maybe you want to check it out, but probably not. (laughs) And then in uh, more friendly music, I uh, revisited Coldplay. I haven't listened to them in a long time. Their uh, single Everglow was awesome. I listened to that on repeat. Uh, That's my, my pop pick. And then another pop pick was Imagine Dragons. I've been listening to their music and they're from Baltimore, which is, yeah, right down the road from where we grew up. So it's cool to see a local band like that succeed at such a large scale. Very cool. Yeah, you're... uh... Your Coldplay song is, it's in my dreams. You played it so many times. Every time I wake up, I hear it. I'm like, oh my gosh, get when out I, of my head. When I find a song, I go all in on it. You really it's do. just like the Interstellar soundtrack. I think it's- Yes, that's your, was that your alarm forever? It's really helpful to pick a soundtrack or an album or a specific song and then pair that with work or at a specific time and kind of like use that music for a week or two weeks. I found that it's- uh so there's something therapeutic about it that I, I really like. Got it. Yeah. I, I usually like all your songs, but you definitely listen to them a lot. All right. So before I dive into what I was listening to, let's give a shout out to Twilio, our sponsor of today's episode. So do you want to hang out with the mission team? Yes or no? I assume it's yes. Yes. So we're going to be at their conference in October in San Francisco. The conference is called Signal, and it's a customer and developer conference that explores the intersection of technology, innovation, and communications. And if you want to get 20% off your conference tickets, use our promo code, Mission20. The mission team is going on location everywhere. So that is 
an upcoming project. I can't share anything about it now, but let's just say we're soon going to be all over the Bay Area. You will see us in live videos and podcasts. And if you want more information, reach out at info at themission.co to get our team, our media experts to come on location to you and help tell your story. Exactly. All right. So what I'm listening to, this one might surprise you because this is more of your thing, usually your type of music. I am listening or re-listening to Kanye West's album. Whoa. I know. I I knew that would surprise you. Uh, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. I know Kanye is like some people either love him or hate him. Usually there's like very mixed reactions. His recent promotional efforts got everyone's attention, let's say. Yeah. And then like starting with a Taylor Swift, like everyone hates him. Everyone likes him. Everyone hates him again. Whatever. Put all that to the side. I was listening to a podcast called Dissect, where every season I think they dive into one album. Mm-hmm. And so they chose Kanye West's album. And it was just crazy. They literally take the song and play it note by note and, sh- and show you where did he get this note from? Why does it pull you in? What's different than what anyone else has ever done in the industry before? They literally do dissect every piece of the song. And they were playing in one of the episodes, um, Runaway. Yeah. And he was just kind of showing the genius behind... Kanye West and why you're like why you're addicted to this song and mm-hmm. it's because he's just done all these things that no one has ever done before and that it really makes me hear every single song I listen to so differently and wondering well why do I like this song which piece of the note do I like where because did they get this it, in time doesn't it mirror familiar melodies up to a certain point and right as you're getting accustomed to the familiarity then it does something novel and completely different yep. or something like exactly. that exactly it makes yeah. so your brain is always used to certain notes happening at a certain yeah. time and he did the exact opposite. So you're listening to it and your brain's like, ah, this is the type of music I always like. And then it comes on that one chorus part, which is I think what everyone knows when they listen to Runaway. Mm-hmm. And they instantly are like, whoa, goosebumps, lo- love it. And that's where he just completely mixed it up and took the notes off of how they normally are hitting in any other type of song. That's really cool. And I think the Dissect podcast is interesting for a number of reasons. Spotify recently acquired it. That's fascinating. And I think they requ- uh, I think they acquired it because it's basically a research and development engine in a sense of figuring out why music works. And so the internal team at Spotify, I'm sure, is really excited about that for a bunch of business reasons. Oh, I'm sure. But yeah, for anyone who wants to view music in a whole different light, you should definitely check out that podcast. So you'll become an expert. <laughs> that's that's an awesome recommendation. So those are our recommendations for this week. That's our the best I guess is what we're going to use uh, to call to call this from TBD. now on. We'll figure it out. TBD. <laughs> and have a great weekend. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you on Monday. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.